my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Today's episode is brought to you by Gordon Law Group. If you've tried to do Bitcoin taxes yourself, you know how complicated it is. You can spend hours and hours going through your transactions and researching tax forms and you're still not sure if it's right or if the IRS will come after you. Or maybe you're so intimidated by Bitcoin taxes that you don't even know where to start. Gordon Law Group can help. Ditch the spreadsheets and feel confident with a bulletproof Bitcoin tax return. They can help with IRS payment plans and they also provide a full range of legal and accounting services for Bitcoin and digital asset startups. Get your taxes done right the first time with the original Bitcoin and digital asset tax pros. Go to gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. As a bonus, they'll send you the ultimate Bitcoin tax guide for free. That's gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner, and I'm here starting the show out with a very special co-host, Producer Chris. What's up, Producer Chris? How's it going, Ansel? Glad to be here. All right. Well, we have a big show. Hopefully, CK can join us here in a little bit, but we have a big show coming to cover US CPI, US PPI, some small business loan stuff. Of course, go over the Bitcoin price and some macro stuff including gold and silver. We don't usually talk about gold and silver. Last week we did. This week I'm bringing it back. We're going to do a little bit of gold and silver talk. So that's interesting. But if you guys are watching this and that sounds good to you, like, comment, subscribe, trying to get the, uh, you know, Fed watch out there. We are, have a very contrarian take on things. And so trying to get this viewpoint out there more. So anyway, Chris, do you have any plugs you want to plug the conference before we get started? Yeah, we're 35 days out from the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world. Obviously, we are in a bear market, but you know, maybe Ansel tell us we're rallying and we're beginning <laughs> the next bull market, but really excited, looking forward to Bitcoin 2023. You can go to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets. You can use code BM live to get 10% off. We're really looking forward to bringing, you know, the macro, the energy people, and even just like what happened in the collapse of FTX and all of that and kind of breaking down all of these crypto scams or Ponzi schemes as we're kind of seeing as they're collapsed. So we're, you know, really focusing on the Lightning Network and what they're expanding there, the collapse of FTX and all these different Ponzi schemes or Ponzi-nomic type things, and then the energy sector, which is something we're really excited. Like I said, we have Shell sponsoring the conference. It was not a one-year deal, it was a multi-year deal. So it's very cool to see such a prominent big company in the world, Shell, and hopefully, you know, with their sponsorship and what they're bringing to the table this year we'll have other energy companies come to the space and you know ansel i'd love to pay for gasoline and lightning i think it would be a very cool experience <laughs> you know going up to the terminal not having to swipe my yeah. credit card to pull out cash and kind of using you know what we believe is the future of money 
and energy is kind of the basis of life and human flourishing and human civilization, it only makes sense for one day for oil manufacturers or, you know, oil and gas companies to accept lightning. And then ultimately that leads to them having it on their balance sheet. I suspect in the beginning, like most companies, they might accept Bitcoin and lightning and then cash it right into fiat because obviously a lot of their debts are denominated in fiat. But, you know, long-term goal would have them accept lightning and, you know, Bitcoin in general for payments. And I think that'd be really cool. So that's my shill. Uh, looking forward to seeing people at Bitcoin 2023. And we're looking forward to having you on the analyst desk, Ansel. It's going to be a great yes. time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it quite a bit. My wife is looking forward to it. Like I've said in the past, she went last year and this year she like was the one that got the hotel reservations and she was the one that, you know, is really excited to go. So I think that's pretty awesome. Everybody is welcome at the conference. Yeah, that sounded interesting. So you you're you said it's like a debrief of what happened this last year and then talking about the future. I mean, that's that's a pretty comprehensive story and I I can't wait to be a part of it. Yeah, to plug my stuff, check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. I live stream several times a week including FedWatch here and I have run a Telegram channel that's going all day long with macro and Bitcoin stuff. You can check that out, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. Okay, so let's get into the slides here. Let's go with the Bitcoin price. We have to anchor our conversation in Bitcoin. So we're ready. Let's bring up slide numero uno. Chris, you're doing double duty here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but so I put on the moving averages here. The, the orange line is the 200 day. The green line is the 50 day. And you can see both are trending upward, which is a very good sign in the history, you know, historically in Bitcoin, when both of these are going up together, the price broke through this kind of $30,000 ceiling that we've been talking about for a while. And it looks very strong. If you go to the next slide, this is something I think Joe Consorti tweeted this out. He is, we have a couple charts from him today. He's with the Bitcoin layer. Over there, Nick Batia's outfit, he has some really good stuff. So I recommend following Joe Consorti on Twitter. But this is updated now for this bear market. And you can see we continue to fall less. The volatility of Bitcoin is getting less through the different cycles. So very interesting. We'll see maybe the next cycle we only drop by 50% or something like that after, of course, reaching nosebleed all-time highs. But this was a very interesting chart. Any comments on this before we go to the weekly chart? Yeah, I think this plays out to a long-term thesis of, of Bitcoin. And I'm not saying, you know, a lot of theses we've seen killed, you know, it's never going to drop below its old all-time high. Obviously, that was broken in this cycle when it fell below the 20K mark or the 19 high 19K mark. And then we went to like 15.5 this cycle. But it is good to sh show that this trajectory is going upward in the correct direction that you'd like to see. Obviously, we don't like to yeah. see our net worth chopped by 75% <laughs> at the top, especially. But I think the one thing that I highlight and I tell people is like when we saw, you know, the 2020, March of 2020, when everything was chaotic, Bitcoin was at what, 3K, 35, 5K. So mm -hmm. even if you got in at that point, I know you don't want to time markets and stuff, but like if you're seeing that as extreme value, you know, even though it fell 76% from the all time high of 69K, if you got in, in at that 5K mark or even in that 3.5 mark, you're still up 3X on your investment or, you know, four and a half, five times on your investment. So, not saying, you know, there are times when Bitcoin is optimal to buy and we kind of just saw one of these go by right now. But I think it's always good to dollar cost average of Bitcoin. I am not an expert in timing markets and all that. Ansel is definitely better in that regard. But, you know, buying really? is, is kind of my strategy. Yeah. Buy when blood is in the streets. That's the old saying, right? And yep, so it yep. worked, worked well for Bitcoin. I know I stacked a little bit extra during that COVID dip because... You know, it was the end of the world. And then, of course, FTX seemed like the end of the world, too. So stacked a little bit more heavily during those big market sell-offs. But, yeah, I think this, this chart is fantastic. Okay, let's go to the next one. It is the weekly chart. And now you can see where that red kind of resistance zone was coming from. A few other analysts I've seen in the space, long-term Bitcoiner like Tone Vase, he's talking about 34,000 being some more resistance, but I really don't see it all that much on the charts. I don't see much resistance at all going up from here. So I think there is a likely chance, I think, that we the price kind of runs away here and people get caught that we're waiting to get in or whatever. You know, they, they waited just a little bit too long for that $10,000 mark, and now it's going to go to 40 before they can buy in so pretty crazy any thoughts on this weekly chart 
Yeah, it's funny you should bring up the 10K mark. I saw a compilation or a video that someone did tail end of last year, beginning of this year, just compiling all people saying they're waiting for 10K Bitcoin. And, you know, it never came. So like I said, stay humble, stack sats. I know Hoddle not did his traditional when you break that 10K barrier. He said, we're never going to blow 30K ever again yesterday or two days ago. And then we fell to 29.9 and then now we're back above it again. So, <laughs> you know, just very funny. I think Bitcoin moves in the direction that people expect at least. And I think still people are expecting more of a recession for it to collapse down in price so to your point ansel i think it might run but i i don't know stay humble stack sats that's my advice right yep best advice and hodl long term okay so the next chart is gold and silver i promised to bring this in here the top chart is the gold price and the bottom chart is silver you can see they both had quite amazing rise here since about september october of last year um Silver's given us some mixed signals. It's extremely overbought historically on the CPI. So it, they, these two could be coming up on the top of this rally. But the next chart is why I wanted to kind of talk about gold a little bit. And I think this is a fantastic chart. If you go to slide number five, please. Yep. There we go. Okay. So this I saw from Hugh Henry. He's the acid capitalist out on out there on Twitter and he has some similar views to myself but he retweeted this chart and on the x axis on the bottom is real rates you can see the zero line so if if the on the x axis to the left of the zero line that means that inflation is higher than the 10 year yield and if you are on the right side of that zero line it means the 10 year yield is above the CPI and then the yeah, the y-axis y is the gold price. Now, this is highly, highly correlated. And when I saw this, I was like, whoa, that is pretty crazy. That is saying that the market right now is pricing this to, you know, gold price has continued to go up. And that's because we have negative real yields. What's going to happen in the future is are the yields going to get more negative and gold will continue to rise or are we going to see maybe some real yields going positive here as the Fed continues to hike rates? So, hey, CK, what's up? Sorry, I'm late, guys. Totally, totally blanked and got caught up on another meeting. And thank you, y'all, for, for taking over and, and getting the, the, the show started without me. What's up, y'all? Hey, well, you didn't miss much. We just talked about the Bitcoin price. Any comments on the Bitcoin price over the last couple of days? Well, he just walked away again. He will, he, no, he, I got the light on. Yeah. yeah, Bitcoin price. I was like, it, it was looking like it was ready to explode one way or another. And then I think it was like Tuesday, we made the jump to 30K. And now it looks like we're battling. Don't have much else to, to kind of comment there, but exciting times. I'm curious what your analysis was. I'm going to have to re-listen to the show. Well, Chris, can you go to slide number two, please? That is the cycle chart. I've, I saw this one from Joe Consorti on Twitter, and it's pretty interesting. It shows, you know, the, the cycle bottoms are getting higher, I guess. I don't know exactly how to put that, but it's, it's dropping less on each cycle. And this means that Bitcoin's volatility, like grand scheme of things, volatility is going down. Any comments on that, CK? You're muted. I, I would say volatility going down is temporary, and it's... It's something that volatility is going to go up a lot as Bitcoin gets hyper adopted. Volatility is going to go up or volatility is going to go down? When I think vol when as so when Bitcoin is hyper adopted, it will volatility will be very down, but the transition will have a lot of volatility. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Very true. That brings to mind the Fugoid cycle. We'll have to do a whole show on the Fugoid, Fugoid. cycle is the best way to think about it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's one of the best charts from Dylan Leclerc, you know, Bitcoin Magazine Pro macro analyst. But he has that chart that shows the Weimar Germany price of German marks in gold. And it looks like it's just like a hockey stick you know, going parabolic, going up. But then when you overlay the volatility of it, it looks like a seismograph, like going nuts. And like the percent change of the price was varied a lot, even though the direction was correct. And if you look at the last blip before it goes parabolic and like basically the German mark breaks, if you sold at that top and then like sold from gold into German marks, you still lost 90% of your net wealth and you have to time it to the exact, exact peak. 
90% of your net wealth from that peak to where it goes ultimately. So that really just shows the volatility can really, really hampen someone that you were directionally correct for like six years and only for the last six months or last two months for you to wipe out 90% of your purchasing power. And that's only if you sold the exact top. If you're anything below that, you lost 99% plus of your purchasing power because the German mark collapsed that much in value. And I think that's kind yeah. of the long-term thesis for all fiat currencies. Yeah, back then it was stacking silver and gold, right? Stay humble, stack your gold ounces. But okay, let's get back into this gold and silver talk. So we're on this chart. And I thought this was just so mind-blowing how these real yields uh, work. And when we, we're talking about CPI, has a lot to do with real yields. Because obviously it is the, it is, Jesus, it is the... Yield of the 10-year minus the CPI is the real yield. And if CPI is dropping quite rapidly, we could see this go positive real yields. Now, if, if we go positive real yields, what does that mean for the price of gold? It means that the price of gold should drop, that we are at a cyclical high in the price of gold. And what does that mean for Bitcoin? I mean, because they're both monetary instruments. Of course, Bitcoin is gold, digital gold. It is, has so many better properties. So gold doesn't really have the king status, I guess, of monetary assets anymore. It is Bitcoin, but this could affect the price of Bitcoin. And this chart alone has made me kind of question this ultimate bull market that I think we're going into right now. Any thoughts on this or should we keep going on to the next chart? Muted. Let's just keep rolling. But yeah, I mean, I personally need to try to get my, my mind around around this and understand it a little bit more before I can comment. Yeah, it took me about 10 minutes staring at this chart to really get it. If you go to the next slide, that is the Bitcoin price versus the 10-year because we're talking about real yields. We're talking about the price of these monetary assets. And actually, no, that's the price of gold over the 10-year. And you can see that it's directly or inversely, Jesus, inversely correlated as the yield was dropping in 2019, gold was going up. Then as the yield was rising since COVID, gold was flat. And now we have the, the yield dropping and gold rising again. So I think it's very interesting. Now there, there is a complicating factor or caveat here. And that is that where does the CPI work in? Um, CPI affects the price of gold, but it also can affect the price of the 10-year. So just take all of this with a grain of salt. I just thought this chart was interesting. And that's all I have for macro charts, except for Ethereum. So do you guys have any comments on this gold and silver? No, I got nothing else. All right, let's go to the Ethereum chart then. They did have just recently, of course, yesterday, their Shanghai fork where they were able to unstake and I looked at the numbers in the first 12 hours or so, 200,000 ETH were unstaked. We'll see how that continues to go. But there's 19 million total staked ETH. My theory is that people are going to, you know, that people are a little bit spooked of the SEC. Commodities don't have to wait for developers to make a change to unstake their commodity. Securities are like that. And so the more that Ethereum is tweaked, the more it becomes a security. And I think people have a lot of uncertainty around that. So I expect there to be a lot of unstaking and selling of Ethereum. But what do you guys have to say about this chart or about this Shanghai fork that just happened? Yeah, we were talking right before the show, Ansel, and kind of it shows the merge. And like, obviously, at first I was like, oh, like, it's interesting that it merged and it collapsed. And you kind of pointed out, if you can kind of see on this chart, there's a green candle wick up and then it collapses down in price. And I was like, oh, like it's interesting that Shanghai is doing the reverse of the merge, like going up and you're like, well, actually it did go up at first and then it collapsed down in price. Obviously, I think the price is ultimately going to collapsing to zero against it or near zero. Um, yeah, I don't think Ethereum's going away anytime soon, but like I said, I think you know Bitcoin is the be all end all main thing for it. So I don't know, that's just my two sets. So the, the fork already happened, huh? Mm -hmm. Yep, yesterday. Some people are saying it's going to be the new bottom, which would, I think, infuriate Bitcoin investors because it's, it's about 3x higher than the last bottom, which is 0 0.02. Um, you know, I personally think that like the story of altcoins will continue for a long time. We live in fiat clown world and altcoins are part of that. So it's going to take a long time to go from 0.001% 
Bitcoin adoption to hyper Bitcoinization. And until then, there's going to be a lot of confusion. There's going to continue to be speculation on this stuff as the market continues to wisen up. And yeah, I mean, usually it seems like things are sell the news event. So it's pretty interesting that this seems to be a buy the news event so far. But we've talked at length about how the kind of unstaking is a bearish thing for Ethereum. So yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to speculate too, too much, but you know, I guess this chart is saying that the merge was bearish, especially given the fact that ETH was locked up. And now maybe the fact that ETH is less locked up, it's, it's a little bit more bullish, but I don't know. I don't want to like put too much of a narrative to it. I'm just kind of watching and waiting. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine. Yeah, that, that was interesting what you said there about the altcoins are not going away anytime soon. I agree. And I also think that, you know, the powers that be are kind of pushing altcoins. We see Ethereum and proof True. of stake being used against proof of work and Bitcoin. And also CBDCs are altcoins as well. You know, the idea of a CBDC is just the expansion on the idea of an altcoin. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. But at the same time, in all of these cycles, we tend to see a turnover in the competitors, you know, so Litecoin and I guess maybe XRP was the first kind of cycle competitor. Then Ethereum came on with smart contracts and Ethereum has been the competitor. And now maybe this cycle, Ethereum slowly bleeds out and we get things like CBDCs that are the altcoin competitors to Bitcoin. So I don't know, there's a different ways you can look at this, but I try not to dwell too much on altcoins but at the same time i just think it's fascinating some of these things i'd never buy an altcoin but i think it's fascinating to watch what's going on with the charts so okay that's all i have for this anything else to add i mean the best altcoin in the world is the us dollar so i mean they're like ck was saying if altcoins are going to be around i think they're going to be around for a long time so it is what it is hey the altcoins in the us i think the the crypto non-sovereign altcoins might have more staying power than fiat but we'll see than many fiats, yes. I totally agree with that. Like the euro. I think I think Ethereum might even have more staying power than the euro. But okay, let's get into the main story for the day, and that is CPI just came out. And I'm going to read a little bit from the release here just to kick us off. So consumer price index for all urban consumers rose 0.1% in March on a seasonally adjusted basis after increasing 0.4% in February. So this is coming down quite dramatically from the 0.4 in February. It's 0.1%, you know, annualized is 1.2%. So this is below the 2% target that the Fed has. The last 12 months has decreased now to 5.0%. And that is the year over year number. I try not even to talk about that very much other than to diss it, but don't, don't concentrate on the year, year over year number, concentrate on that month over month. And it is 0.1%. I actually did run the numbers too about, so, you know, the 
CPI peaked in June of 2022, and that's going to become important when we look at some of these other charts. So since in the last nine months, CPI has been a total, a nine month total of 2.4%. And if you annualize that, it's 3.4%. I believe that's what it comes out to. So 3.4% is more accurate than the 5%. And the year over year just takes such a long time to price in these lower CPI numbers. Also, again, on this CPI, the index for shelter was by far the largest contributor to the monthly all items increase. And remember, shelter is a big time lagging indicator, can lag by 12 to 18 months, and we'll take a closer look at that. Any comments on this, or should we go dive into the details on the table? Let's dive into it, unless well, CK's got anything. Yeah, I was just going to say, Ansel's been kind of calling this for a long time. You've been indicating that shelter is lagging and that it will slowly come down as well. And I can, you know, I'm the guy on the street who's talking about signing a new lease. I was able to negotiate my lease down, you know, 15, 20%. So awesome. uh, I think I may have talked about that before, but, you know, it seems like at least compared to last June, rent is lower in Nashville, that's for sure. And to the point where I was able to get my landlord to agree to changing my, my, my rent moving forward. So if it is coming down, you know, it, there's going to be more and more kind of pressure, I think, on the Fed to stop the hiking. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about that dynamic, Ansel. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's talking about the Fed pause or pivot, whether it's coming now or what. The pricing, the markets are pricing in one more hike or like half of a hike. So we don't know. It's, it's very... Baby hike? Yeah, it's a baby hike. Like it's pricing in a 15 basis point hike. And so that's hard to know exactly what we're looking at. But maybe as we go in April, we'll see some more economic things turn and we'll get a better idea of what the fed will do okay let's go on to the next let's go on to the table and this kind of shows you what we're looking at Ansel, uh, when when the one basis point hike that that's what i'm waiting for like the babiest <laughs> of baby hikes well the funny thing is it's supposed to be quantitative easing right so or the, that's the terms that they kind of terms that they use so it should be precise yeah but it's not it's 25 or 50 basis points and 40 billion a month. I mean, it's always these round numbers. But anyway, this is the table for this month. If you go to the next slide, what I do is zoom in on these important segments. So energy was the big driver, both of CPI and PPI, which we'll go over here in a second. It dropped 3.5% as a total component. And then shelter is this lagging one, but you can see it went from 0.8% in February down to 0.6%. And if we go back a couple more months, it was up there at 0.8. Then we had a 0.7, 0.8, but you know, they round these. So it could be as little as four or five hundredths of a percent. And then they just round it up and it looks like, or round it down and it looks like 0.8 or 0.7, but 0.6 is definitely a decrease. And so we're seeing the first decrease in several months in the shelter component. And if it's lagging, it should follow the rest of everything down. If we go to the next slide. Yeah, that, wait, I have a quick no, question on this no, for you guys real quick. I, I don't know about you guys, but obviously I, I called this a while ago, but they were basically going from the reserves or the oil reserves and kind of like pumping that into the economy to lower prices leading into the election. Not here to get political one way or the other, but I know probably around November, middle November, the lowest price I saw was like 270 Gas by me is now up to 350. So that's an 80 cent increase. So I don't know about you guys, but like, even though it's saying that energy is down February and March, it's only gone up for me. And like, you know, maybe it's fallen a few cents here and there. But just for me personally, I've seen an 80 cent increase like dollar wise in value. But that's like what a 25% increase, a 30, 30% increase based on cost basis alone. I don't know what your thoughts there, CK and Ansel. I got 40 cent increase here on the gallon uh, as well over the last month or so. Yeah, same here. About 350 where I'm at as well. So I don't know exactly where they get these numbers, but you know, maybe they're getting wholesale numbers or something like that. Derivatives yeah. on the price of oil. Something yeah, like I only ask because it says a seasonally adjusted change from preceding month. So I, like if it was year over year, like last year, like, okay, like maybe it was in that $3 mark before the election. Like I could see that for sure. But yeah, I, I don't know. I guess maybe I have no idea. 
That's just my two cents. We can go. Gas was really expensive this time last year. Yeah, that, that's the only so thing I can think of. It was if they're really using... expensive. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about like $4 here in Nashville. Yeah, we were close to that as well. Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. I can dive in and get get an answer for you, Chris, because that is an interesting oh, observation there. FedWatch, where we talk about the price at the pump <laughs> and Bitcoin. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, next slide is this is I, I hate to use this slide actually because it's year over year and it is blasphemy to talk about year over year when we when we have the last nine months it is down to two percent. But anyways, you can see these are all the different components. The orange is the energy component, which is negative for the first time year over year in a long while since 2020. The blue component is the services, which includes the shelter. So you can see that that is, was trending up after everything else had already exploded higher, but we'd also have the very first little dip in that blue section for this last month. So it is also starting to turn over and decrease. Okay. Next slide. This one I got again from Joe Consorti. Great follow on Twitter. I recommend you guys follow him. This is, I, there's a red line under this white line that I traced because you couldn't really see the red line very well. And sorry, the lawn guys decided to come to my neighborhood. Don't worry about right it. Now, right Don't now. worry about it. So <laughs> anyways, the, this white line is showing that CPI is expected to crash here. And this is based off inflation swaps and stuff. So by July, they're showing it down to around 3% for the year over year CPI number, which is extremely interesting any comments on this but i have some more supporting evidence for a very fast decline in cpi so anything to add before that nothing for me over ck if you have anything you, you've been talking about it for a long time Ansel. Keep so you've been forecasting this okay so if you go to the next chart this is a little bit longer term month over month cpi and i'm highlighting back here in the great financial crisis november 2008 because this was kind of the the depths of that recession. And look at this month over month CPI, negative 1.7% in one month. That's dramatic. And there are multiple months that are negative. Then in 2015, we had a negative, negative month greater than half of a percent. And of course, then in the COVID crisis in April of 2020, it dropped to negative 0.8%. So if we have another recession, if we're going into recession right now, it would not surprise me to see multiple negative months and negative months that are way bigger than anyone is expecting. Do I have another slide on this? No, that's my last CPI slide. So any comments on CPI or should we just roll to PPI? Let's keep it rolling. All right. So PPI, next slide. PPI is producer price index. It is the cousin of CPI. Of course, people think it is upstream of CPI. So producers, you know, they're paying wholesalers, they're paying their suppliers and stuff. And then that will get passed on to retailers and the retailers will charge to consumers. So this is um, upstream from CPI. And what we see here in March was a decline, a negative 0.5%, which was huge. The final demand advanced 2.7% if you look at the whole year. If we break it down even more, the goods decreased by one, the, the final demand for goods for producers dropped 1%. And the final demand for services, which is includes a lot of those lagging indicators, lagging components in all of these things, it also declined by 0.3%. This is not disinflation. This is outright deflation. Prices dropped for producers on goods, 1% in March. That's a huge 1% drop in price. If we go a little bit more in detail down below, we get 80% of a March decline in the index for final demand goods can be traced to a 11% drop in the price for gasoline. And we just had this big conversation just a minute ago about gasoline really hasn't dropped all that much but we'll have to dig into those numbers a little bit more. And then in the services component, most of the decline came from, what does it say here? Demand trade services, which includes changes in margins received by wholesalers and retailers. So that is where it's coming from in services. Any comments on PPI? I have a lot more charts. 
Let's keep rolling through the charts. All right. Good stuff. Next, this is now I love this because it's month over month. Why do they use month over month on PPI, but they don't do the same thing for CPI? I think it's because they have some sort of narrative that they're trying to paint when they're using the year over year numbers for CPI. Anyways, so we can see the all these components added together. It is quite negative. It has been negative several times in the last nine months or so. I'll point out the peak here is was in March. If you go to the next slide, the next slide is March. And remember the peak of CPI was in June. So this is a leading indicator. It's upstream from CPI and it is crashing. So what does that tell us for CPI? Most likely that we'll see some negative months in CPI coming very soon. And I am predicting that by July, we're going to be in that 2% range for CPI. Do I have any more charts? No more charts on PPI. So you guys have any comments on this for producers? What is What do you think this means for the economy as a whole? Stuff like that. You want to go, Chris, or should I jump in? Yeah, no, I, I can go. I mean, the direction it looks like it's going is down. I mean, that's what all the charts are showing. It is that I guess that's a little concerning if you're just looking at like charts and directional things. Obviously, the direction it's going, I don't know if it'll stop, like get to the 2020 crash or keep going past it. Obviously, that's when things get scary when you're like, hey, is this another great recession or all of that? I think the one big thing that you said, it's kind of, it seems like it's slowing down for, I forget what the terms are, but for like retail and, and like businesses, like a lot of the prices are dropping in them. So as prices drop for retailers and small businesses and such, obviously they that slows down growth of hiring and potentially that could lead into firing or more layoffs. We've obviously seen, obviously seen a lot of layoffs in the big tech sector, but you'd hate to see it hit, start hitting small businesses. But there's this weird dichotomy of like, especially in the service industry, where it's like, I see all these help wanted signs and no one wants to do these jobs, yet they don't have enough like demand. to like It's like, what's going to break first? Supplier demand. Like there's not enough wait staff or servers or whatever to meet the demand. But at the same time, like prices are falling. So it's like, do we fire off more of the staff that we don't already have? I, I don't know. That's kind of the, or, or do the business close in general? That's just the direction I'm seeing in general. CK? Well, I mean, Antel, learn from you that the Fed, it, it, you know, kind of from a marketing perspective, they talk about CPI, but from a policy perspective, they actually leverage PPI to make their decisions. So obviously, if PPI is kind of leading what's happening on the CPI front. That's more evidence to kind of back up your thesis, which is that the Fed will pivot and that will be bullish for risk on assets. You know, ultimately, uh, prices don't like, you know, I think that a big theme of this show is kind of breaking the connection between like, PPI, CPI prices, and then inflation, and the fact that those things aren't necessarily 100% connected. But it is pretty clear that it seems like these, these price declines are kind of from like a demand destruction perspective versus, and you can kind of, we talk about shipping rates and stuff like that as well. So it is, it does feel like, hey, number go down and that should be a good thing, but it's actually not necessarily a good indicator for of health in the economy. And it just feels like we're continuing this move towards what you say is, you know, the pre-great financial crisis normal, which is, you know, things are just flat and there's not a lot of growth. There's not a lot of opportunity. Maybe there's continuing sliding down. Maybe there's continuing drop in demand. And ultimately, that's painful on, on everyone who's kind of involved in that slow grind down. Yeah. Yeah, I also want to point out that prices tend to be sticky on the upside. I was interviewed by the Orange Pill Addicts podcast, the Bitcoiners out of Kansas City. And we talked a lot about, do I see prices coming down dramatically? And I think they will. I think we will actually see deflation. However, it's hard for prices to come down. It's easy to raise wages. It's really hard to take those wage hikes, take it back, right? And it's the same with the the price of goods and your inventory, it's painful to cut those margins. Maybe you'll try to cut by 5% and then you'll try to cut by 10 or 20%, but you'll slowly, you know, slowly do it. You won't just go right to your ultimate target. So yeah, prices can remain sticky. So that's another thing where CPI is going to lag this PPI. If it were instant, we, we'd see PPI and CPI being pretty much synced up maybe one month of lag but three four months of lag 
is what we see. So anyways, that's all I have for PPI. I, I do have one more section here, and that is on small business loans. So do we want to talk about that? Yeah, we got like 10 minutes here. Let's hit it. Okay, so the next slide is, I, I don't know if we touched on it in on FedWatch, but I did talk about this on my my own podcast. And what we saw is, or what we are seeing is lending standards tightening dramatically. Small firms now are facing harder time getting funding. And this is kind of upside down. So if we go to the next slide, it's a little bit more simple. It's the same information, but this is showing like what percent of small firms are reporting that it's harder to get credit. And this is very important when we talk about CPI and PPI and stuff, because this is actual inflation right here. And what we're seeing is it's getting very hard for small businesses to get funding and loans is where money is printed. If we go to the next slide, that is the small business sentiment or confidence going forward. This is by the NFIB. It's a very old survey that they, they do out there, but look how low this is. Small business sentiment is lower than COVID. It's lower than the great financial crisis, lower than .com. This is absolutely devastating right here. And if we're talking about, if I'm a bank, and I'm looking at this chart and some small business comes to me to get a loan. Why would I, I, you know, I'm going to restrict who gets loans because it's, they're thinking out there that they're reporting that they are not bullish on their business, but they're coming to me to get a loan, right? So I'm going to tighten my lending standards. There's going to be a lot less lending out there, a lot less, that's actual money printing. So we could be setting ourselves up for a deflationary shock, which, um, We've been reporting on here on FedWatch. I've been kind of stiff arming that idea, thinking that it might be a mild recession. But some of these numbers like this one right here and that gold chart that we showed earlier, I'm thinking we're going to see some dramatic downshifts in the economy coming very shortly. Do you guys have any comments on this small business? Segment? I mean, I, I have one comment and that is since COVID, it's pretty much gone straight down and it's oh, yeah. been an absolutely brutal environment for small businesses in general. And, you know, Bitcoin magazine is a semi-small business itself. And a lot of, a lot of, you know, difficulties kind of navigating all the, the geopolitical and, uh, you know, just all, all the challenges that have come since 2020 have only increased the difficulty to do business. Great comment. Yeah. That's crazy. It's straight down from COVID. Now, we just talked about maybe recession, mild recession, hard recession. It's hard to predict when we have CPI crashing, we have these lending crashing, but how does it work out to real GDP? And the last slide that I have, Chris, number 20, is G GDP. So the first quarter GDP came out and you can see, man, I didn't even look at the exact number. It's right around 2%. And what I've been talking about, see that segment between the great financial crisis and COVID where it's just hovering above zero, you know, one to 2%, it's just bouncing up and down. And I've been talking about a return to that level. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Now, how do we get real GDP? We have to have GDP, nominal GDP and subtract CPI. So th this all goes into my analysis, but it is returning to post GFC normal. And we'll see if this continues. And oh, by the way, the point of this is, will this be a textbook recession? Will it? Will people be able to label this as a recession? What if it just goes back to GDP of zero or 1%? We will feel like we're in a recession. It'll feel extremely painful for everybody out there, but it won't be a textbook recession. So uh, any thoughts on this, guys? Yeah, I'll start here. I mean, look at like the great financial crisis. It went down like minus... 2.5%. But then you look at the 2020 crash, that's like what, eight to 9%. But then the rebound, it was going up to 9% GDP. And like, obviously, I think that's all just due to the money printing. I mean, that's something that we've been harping on, but very, very interesting. And to your point, Ansel, I think it's going to return to the mean. And if that's the case, it's got to continue to fall a little bit more from where it is right now. CK? Wild chart. I, I'm optimistic that Bitcoin's chart looks a little bit more just <laughs> slow. The economy on Bitcoin, the chart just looks slowly up versus, you know, flat to these, these random kind of, uh, you know, massive, massive shocks. 
And I think, you know, probably the massive shocks will get bigger, you know, going back to this idea of the Fugoid cycle. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if the next shock that we experience makes the 2020 shock look a little bit more like 2008. Yeah, what could that next shock be? It could be a plumbing crisis. It could be a Taiwan crisis. I don't know, but there's a lot. The, the world is becoming more of a tinderbox right now. And also, last comment I have here on the GDP is we definitely have, all the numbers are showing we have a slowdown, a big slowdown in the global economy right now. But that slowdown is going to be unevenly distributed. So you're going to have a bigger recession in some places like maybe Europe or China or something like that, where places like the U.S. might be able to avoid an outright textbook recession. So now bringing this back to Bitcoin, what do you guys think about what it means for Bitcoin? When I see this chart, I think Bitcoin did very well at in the post-GFC normal in a low growth, low inflation environment we don't need to have high cpi for bitcoin to succeed so any comments on that i'll shoot you know personally my 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 mental model on like the bitcoin economy is similar to yours ansel where i think that it's just a new economy and it's a new economy where capital can be allocated more precisely that's it may seem difficult for us to grok that today but ultimately that is the point of a bitcoin standard is it's a known verifiable monetary system that's closed and we can build on top of it. So I actually think that it doesn't necessarily matter what is happening within the existing system, as long as that system is losing trust for Bitcoin to continue to grow. So, you know, obviously Bitcoin was growing from its inception all the way through, you know, through a, you know, secular bull market. Uh, it did really well in that. And since 2020, it has also done very well because I think the contrast is good for Bitcoin. It's not necessarily like what is happening, what are the conditions within the existing financial system, but how is the existing financial system inconsistent? How is it opaque? How does it prevent you know, allocating capital? And then how is Bitcoin a better system? And that's actually what is affecting Bitcoin in contrast as a contrast to the existing system. I'm curious what Chris thinks about that. Yeah, I mean, looking at the chart and comparing it to all, I mean, the one thing that I've kind of been looking at is hash rate. And we've seen over the last five or six difficulty adjustments, the hash rate's been screaming up. I mean, we had a difficulty adjustment of like six or 7%. We had another one of 3%. This, we're halfway through this epoch of difficulty adjustment and we're like pretty even, but still it's not falling. It's still like remaining flat or going up, which is pretty crazy when you think of like everything that's going on. A lot of people are predicting that it's a state actor. I don't know. I, I don't dig into it enough to know. But yeah, I think as the hash rates climbing, the price is following in, in suit, not saying that they're, you know, directly correlated, but, you know, inversely correlated or whatever. But yeah, I think to Ansel's point, I mean, Bitcoin was out of the 2008 financial crisis has gone on the one of the best bull runs, you know, we'll see how it does, because we we're also in a bull run for bonds. And that's maybe not mm. the case now. But I mean, Bitcoin's price has gone up, what like we were saying before the show, 60, 65% since the beginning of the year already. So we'll see if that trend continues. Yeah, that's an interesting comment about mining and state actor. I know that Russia has had some state-sponsored things come out, like they have a hedge fund that was going to raise money and it had the backing of some officials, state officials. So yeah, maybe it's a state actor, but I look at, I think hash rate is... It's an amazing indicator because it that is like the biggest surface area for attack of Bitcoin, yet the hash rate keeps going higher. So anyway, yeah, that's go ahead. Yeah, it's been screaming up for like the last five or six difficulty adjustments, which I keep thinking like, oh, we're gonna go up one and then fall a little, but like it's only gone up the last five, like and five difficulty adjustments is about 10 weeks when it's you know on a two-week time frame, basically. So yeah. pretty crazy. Price all, is up. Yeah, hash falls true. price. Even if it's way lagging, it's always priced that that enables more hash rate to come online. Yeah. Hey, Ansel, we need to get next time we do a coin price slide, we should get a hash rate slide just because okay. it is looking very, very bullish. And, you know, that's there. there's two levels of Bitcoin, right? There's like the monetary level of Bitcoin and then there's like the real physical network, hardware network of Bitcoin. And that's what the hash rate measures is. How big is that? How efficient is that? How much energy 
is it consuming? What is that thermodynamic wall of security and validation around Bitcoin? And it is one of the best indicators of Bitcoin's health. Yeah, the way I look at it is the monetary aspects come first, because if Bitcoin didn't have these monetary aspects, there would be no mining industry. So you have to have the monetary first. And that means that hash rate is, is going to be a confirming or a lagging indicator for price. You should expect price to go up. And the way I look at it on my newsletter is that if hash rate doesn't respond, like price goes up, but hash rate doesn't go up, that means that there's not really as many fundamentals behind that price increase and it could drop before it continues to go. So yeah, hash rate is definitely a confirming indicator to price in my mind. All right, y'all. I think that's all we have. I want to just sincerely apologize to my co-hosts for being late. Chris, thank you for stepping in as usual. Ansel, great show to everyone watching a reminder. The Bitcoin conference tickets are going up next Friday. The event is coming up real quick, 35 days away. And yesterday, we just announced that we are going back to Amsterdam for Bitcoin Amsterdam, October 12th through the 13th. For people who buy Bitcoin 23 tickets, you can actually get a special early deal on super, super cheap ticket prices to Bitcoin Amsterdam. And for people who don't have Bitcoin 23 tickets yet, you can get a bundle at that price point for Bitcoin Amsterdam. Wow. So get your Bitcoin 23 tickets, bundle it with a Bitcoin Amsterdam ticket. We will see you guys in Miami, May 18th through the 20th. Ansel, excited to see you in person again there. And yes. to everyone in the audience, thank you for tuning in. Peace. Bye, guys. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head-on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine.